Hello and welcome to the Auto Remarketing Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Overby, Senior Editor of Auto Remarketing. And we're recording this episode from NADA Show 2024 in Las Vegas. And joining me today is Matthew Phillips, who is the CEO of CarPros Automotive Group. Matthew, great to see you. Thanks for being on the show. Joe, thank you so much for having me here. I hope you're having as good a time at NADA as I am. Yeah, I've been a, it's been a blast. been doing a lot of podcast interviews and kind of reconnecting with, with old friends. And it's just been, been a good show. You know, I, uh, one of the, the topics that, that has come up a few times during conversations today and at uh, the J.D. Power event yesterday, there have been several you know, vehicle sales models that have emerged in recent years, be it direct-to-consumer automakers or online retailers, but the dealer franchise system still seems to be the most efficient way to sell cars, or at least the, the most popular and, and successful. So what do you think... Why do you think that the dealer franchise system tends to work the best? I mean, what gives it the edge over a direct-to-consumer model? Well, thank you, Joe. This is a a subject I'm actually very passionate about. And I think the franchise dealer system is best for all the stakeholders. I think it's best for the customers. I think it's best for the employees. And I think it's best for the community. For the customers, they get the competition between the dealers. If you're at your local Ford store, you don't like the service, you don't like the price, you can go across town. I can tell you if I go to the outlet for my uh, cell phone carrier and I don't like what I get, I go across to their store across town, I'm going to not like what I get there. It's going to be the same darn thing. So it's definitely best for consumers. For employees, automotive is retail, but it's not just another low-paying retail job, which it's likely to become with the direct-to-consumer model. uh, People employed by car dealerships, oftentimes from minority backgrounds, oftentimes with lower education, have a path to the middle class with the average auto dealer employee making over $100,000. And communities. Well, first of all, employees and customers are the communities, so it takes care of them that way. But also, dealers are hugely involved in their communities, everything from the Little League to helping out food drives, so in a huge way. So really, the only people the franchise model isn't the best for are the Wall Street billionaires like Elon Musk. Some of the uh, EV automakers who had previously in their model been direct to consumer, namely VinFast and Fisker, have decided to add a franchise dealer model to their operations in the U.S. Why do you think they chose to go this route? And second part of that, do you think some of the others that are that are not that model will follow? So, I think a lot of people entered automotive with a little bit of a lack of respect for it and a pretty high opinion of themselves. They were gonna come in and disrupt it or break it. And one of the things they got wrong was how absolutely expensive it is to get storefronts, to brand them, to put inventory in them, to hire staff and to train it, train that staff. So by a franchise model, they're able to outsource not only some of that expense, but some of the work and the management that goes around it. And there's a reason the franchise model system has made so much sense for for manufacturers and dealers for 100 years. Now, will Rivian, will Tesla do? I mean, I don't know that anyone knows what Elon Musk is going to do. Yeah, he could he could uh, change his mind tomorrow and buy another company for $44 billion. <laughs> but I've noticed kind of along those, those same lines in terms of retail models, I've noticed some pullback from public dealer groups and their standalone used car store programs. What do, you, what do you think is driving that pullback from 
from these programs? Do you think these groups are instead choosing to invest their resources kind of within their own used car store, used car sales at their own like franchise stores? You know, I've often wondered what they get by having those that they don't get through their own used car departments. One of the great things about running a car dealership is you have multiple ways to be successful. You can focus on used cars, service, new car sales. You only have one of those legs if you're a used car lot. So when you're in times like right now where the used car market is so volatile, it can be really tough because you can't pivot or adjust between the other business lines. Yeah, it was, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I asked that exact same question to Erin Kerrigan yesterday, and she said the same thing, is that it's, it's a, a new car franchise dealership has multiple little businesses within it, whereas a, a standalone used car store doesn't have those same kind of levers that they can pull. Another hot topic, and especially at this convention, has been electric vehicles, and we, we touched on that a little bit with the, with the automakers, but looking at the used EV market in particular, how are dealers going about finding you know, used EV supply, is this different than a traditional used car acquisition strategy? So at CarPro is my company, we're a large Kia dealer and we're the largest Kia EV retailer in the nation. Last year we retailed over 6% of the new Kia EVs. And it's funny you mention that because that's come up in conversations several times today about the used EV market. And dealers I talk to, I think everyone's a little afraid of the used EV market right now with a couple things on their mind. One, all the volatility in prices. Now, there are always is shifts in volatility in the used car market, but we've seen a lot of extremes with EVs. And the second is really being able to measure the, the, the caliber of the degradation of the batteries in the cars you're getting in. It's not just looking at the odometers. You don't always know what you're buying or taking in trade. So right now in this particular moment, I think a lot of dealers are a little bit leery about stocking very much in the way of used EVs. The EV market is very much in its infancy, and as it matures, all of these issues will get resolved, and there'll really be no difference between buying, sourcing, or holding a used EV compared to a used ICE vehicle. Well, to, uh, to shift a little bit, shift gears a little bit, but stay in the used car market, looking at certified pre-owned, your work with OEMs and, and your relationships with, with your automakers, are there? Are you finding that automakers themselves are, are placing a greater emphasis on CPO? I think CPO is a great product and consumers really, really believe in it. And as a franchise dealer, it gives you something no one else can offer. Any dealership with any manufacturer or no manufacturer can say they've certified a car, but it's not the official certification. Right. During the pandemic, when we had so so much shortage of, of new vehicles, I think everybody, dealers and OEMs together, all sort of leaned into and, if you will, rediscovered the potential of the CPO programs and how really powerful they are. Yeah, that's kind of been reflected in the sales that have, have, uh, have gone up and look to keep improving. And part of, another reason for that increase is the fact that auto, some automakers have expanded the year mileage eligibility, eligibility for their programs mainly to help get more supply. What are some positive and negatives you see in expanding the eligibility of CPO? Well, I see a lot of positives. It allows more people to access that product. It allows dealers to offer more of them. And when we sell CPOs, we tend to see customers more likely to buy their next vehicle from us or to bring their car in for service. On the negative side, I don't know that it's a negative, but with some of the expansions of mileage and age, 
in, they're not always the same program. So it's really important the dealers be aware, be transparent, and educate their consumers on exactly what they are getting. They are getting a great car that's been inspected, it has protections, they're not getting a new car. Yeah. And as long as we are responsible and really educate our consumers, I'm not sure there are any negatives to it. Yeah. Well, to close, we'll go high level here. And what, what advice would you have? What should dealers be doing to prepare for the future of auto retail? You know, it's changed more in the last four years than at any point, you know, and who knows how much it's going to change in the next four or five. What should dealers be doing to get ready for that? Well, Joe, I guess you saved the hardest question for last. <laughs> but uh, one of the things we've been working on at CarPros, actually starting pre-pandemic that helped us, and this is what I think every dealer needs to be working on, and it's exactly what you said, being nimble. We don't know what the future will look like. We just know it won't be like this. Yeah. So the more dealers can build flexibility into their processes, the more they can build ability to change and be nimble into culture, the more they can get people comfortable with ambiguity, the more resilient dealers will be in the future, whatever comes. Very good. Sage advice there, Matthew. We'll leave it there for today. Great talking with you. Great meeting you. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Joe. Enjoy the rest of the show. Absolutely. Well, that'll do it for this edition of the Auto Remarketing Podcast. Stay tuned for more from NADA Show 2024.